I want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I want to welcome those who are gathering uh, with us online as well. It's always a, a special thing, you know, when we can come together and, and worship again, whether we're in the room together or not. Uh, the Bible says where two or more are gathered, the Lord is there. Amen. And so thank you guys so much for being here. And I want to thank our worship team each week. They're faithfully preparing and leading us to the throne of God each, each week as we worship. And it's always a, a special thing. You know, last week I stood before you restless, like I stood before you with my heart stirring and, and you know, I really felt the presence of the Lord in this place. And, and all week I've kind of felt myself, you know, the Lord saying, okay, then what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with those feelings and those emotions? Like, where, where do you take those things? And as I began to get into Romans 5, which we're going to be, so if you would take your Bibles and go there with me, Romans 5, those opening verses, the word hope keeps coming up. The word hope keeps coming up. And what you find in these passages is really the, the promise that, that Paul gives us is kind of sandwiched in hope. It begins with hope, and then he kind of concludes it with hope. And so, you know, all week I felt the Lord saying, okay, well, where do you turn? Where do you take these things, these feelings, these emotions, these struggles? Like, where do we turn to them? Because placed in the hands of the enemy, the enemy does his work. But placed in the hands of the Lord, the Lord does his work. And so this morning, I stand before you excited to get into this series now, two weeks into it. Uh, Dying to Live is the title of the series, and we're going to work through four chapters of Scripture that I believe are some of the richest passages found in the New Testament, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And so as I've already told you, your homework is to read those opening verses as, as Paul has really given us a statement of faith, a statement of theology, the book of Romans, uh, he's on his third missionary journey. He's writing from Corinth. He's writing to the believers uh, in Rome, many of them Jewish Christians. And so he's working through this process of them understanding, okay, salvation is in faith. The just shall live by faith, that that righteousness comes not in your religious activity. Righteousness comes not in your ceremonies. It comes in a person and it comes in Jesus. And so really those opening chapters as he's talking about even the wrath of God to those who are still in their sins, but there's the hope, the hope that justification is found in Jesus who came, lived a life that we could never live, a life that would meet God's satisfaction, meet his requirements, and then die as a substitute for sinners. And so you come now to chapter five, and there's this thing there where there are those who are saying, okay, well, maybe we're saved by God's grace, but then it's our responsibility to grow in it. It's our responsibility to, to, to mature in this faith. And let me just tell you, it's crippling. One of the things that we're going to talk about through this section is sanctification, the process of sanctification, that when an individual comes and, and begins the journey, right, in repentance and faith, admits their sins, understands that they stand guilty before God, turn from their sins, and profess faith in Jesus, they are saved. If you believe that, say amen. Amen? That it's Jesus alone, nothing plus. Well, in that moment, that begins your journey. It just doesn't mean, okay, well, you're wiped away of all your struggles. You're wiped away of all your sins, all your temptations in the moment. No, you're still struggling, and you're walking in that, and you're figuring it out. Rather than running to sin, you should be running away from sin. But it's a journey, and you're on that journey. If you know the Lord, you're on that journey. And there are times, man, where we're running downhill, the wind's at our back, and it's like we're attacking the gates of hell, like we feel the presence of God in our lives. And then there are other times. It seems like he's silent. It feels like we're running uphill, the wind in our face. 
And I don't know about you, but the enemy is great at discouragement. I think it's one of his greatest tools is this discouragement that he puts on a child of God that says, hey, this is your responsibility to now grow in Jesus. Let me tell you something. Part of what Paul is talking about is the power of God that saves us is the power of God that changes us. And just as we enter into this relationship in faith, we walk in this relationship in faith. I'm excited this morning to share with you these opening five verses. If you would take your Bibles and stand with me in reverence for reading God's word. The title of the message this morning, very fittingly, is hope. And let me tell you, as we said a couple of weeks ago, if you stand at the door of hopelessness, you're ready to receive hope. That when you come to your final place and you've exhausted all your other resources, you're now in the position to really hear what God wants to do in your life. And it's not religious activity. That's what Paul is countering here. It's Jesus. It's about a relationship but the one who came and did what he did for us. And so let's just look at these opening five verses. And I pray you allow these words to really find their place in your heart. Listen to what he says, verse five. Therefore, well, that connects us back. That's your homework. What is therefore? Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is therefore? You get it? It's funny, right? <laughs> Our professor thought it was funny. I didn't think it was funny. Therefore, so go back, justification, salvation, all that good stuff, chapter four, and then chapter five. Therefore, having been justified, how? By? Faith, we have peace with God. Just let this sink in for a moment. But if you're in this place this morning and you've put your faith in Jesus, you're at peace with God. Just, 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 just allow that to sink in for a moment. You may have struggles, you may have pain, you may have stuff in front. Just allow that in this moment to find its place. That in Christ, you are standing before a holy and righteous God at peace. Let's keep going. I'm gonna preach. Y'all cool with that this morning? Yes. All right, I'm ready. How does this happen? Through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse two, through whom also, not only saved by faith, but now accessed by faith, verse two, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? Say it with me, in? I wanna hear it, church, rejoice in? There's hope in this place this morning. The enemy's telling you the opposite. Where you're sitting at home, where you're sitting here, he's telling you the opposite. Hear what Paul is saying. The hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory, we have joy, we rejoice in tribulations, plural. How? Because we know there's something behind it. Look at what he says. Knowing that, two words, knowing that. If you hear anything else this morning, hear this. Knowing that, not hoping that. Knowing that. Knowing that. Where am I at? <laughs> knowing that, you need to read a verse. Knowing that. We glory in tribulations. Know that tribulation produces perseverance. Now watch this. It's a synopsis of Christian maturity. Produces perseverance. Perseverance then leads to character. That word means proof. It's kind of the word of like the burning away impurities of a metal proof of what it is. So perseverance leads to character. Character, hope. And here's the promise. Hope in this does not disappoint. Hope in anything else will disappoint you. But hope in this does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Allow that to sink in for a moment. That not only are you at peace with God, that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Can I get an amen? amen. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is living inside of you. Do you hear that? The enemy don't want you to know that. That your authority, your power is not in your self-will and determination. That the power of God, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is living inside of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, our hope is in you. And we thank you, Lord, that in a hopeless situation, that in Jesus there's hope. That we understand, Lord, that there's nothing random. 
that whatever people walked in here with this morning, whatever people are sitting with at home this morning, it's not random. And Lord, we can look at these verses and know that there's a work that you are doing, that there's a, a process of maturing and growing and, and, and refining, burning away the impurities so that we may stand as proof of a changed life. So Lord, that is our prayer. That as we encounter your word, as we encounter these promises, that it would not just be information, but Lord, it would change us, that it would be transformation. That Lord, that we would see that the power of God that saved us is the power of God that secures us and that leads us and that grows us and that promises to never leave us. And so Lord, this morning, may you provide hope to those who need it. We ask it and we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated or you can stand, whatever you wanna do. Pastor Caleb says that all the time, and I'm waiting for one person to stand and distract me the whole time while I'm preaching. <laughs> Sanctification, right? I mean, it's this process, right? And, and so what Paul is saying is, listen, the power of God, it's not that the power of God saves you, and then now it's the power of man that grows you. It's not that. He says, no, this is the power of God that grows you. The same one that saves you is the one now that lives in you. It's the same one that, 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 that leads you and, and matures you. And hopefully, in this process of sanctification, we will be able to look back and say, I'm not who I used to be. That he is faithful to complete the work that he's begun. And so for these four chapters, he's established almost as a lawyer, right? I mean, he's built his case for four chapters that justification is not in religion, that it's not Jesus plus. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Look at any religion and what do you find? Man's attempt to get to God. This is not about a religion. This is not about practicing religion. This is a relationship with the son of God who came and died and rose again. It's different. There's pride in religion. Why? Because it's me. It's what I'm doing. It's the steps I'm taking to get to God. The gospel are the steps that God took to get to us. The gospel is that Christ came to us and did what you and I cannot do of ourselves. Hope in that. And the hope does not disappoint. Saved by the grace of God, but now sanctified by his grace. And he reminds us, if you go back to chapter four, go back one chapter, if you would, and look at the opening verses of chapter four in the book of Romans. He reminds his readers, Jewish believers, many of them, that it's always been by faith. That if you go back to Abraham, it wasn't his, his heritage that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. And he says these words, he's quoting Genesis 15, six and Romans four, where he says this, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father has found according to the flesh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was, notice this, accounted to him for righteousness. It was a credit that there would come a day when payment would be made. It had not been paid yet, but his faith was leading to righteousness. The payment is what Jesus was coming to do. That Jesus would come and make the payment. That Jesus would come and do what he or we ourselves cannot do. No wonder Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should boast in anything except for the cross by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul recognizes that we're saved by faith, but we grow by faith. That every day what is required in a child of God, almost the same thing that is required when you come to repentance and faith. When you come to that place of justification, you, what do you do? You surrender. God, I give up my rights. I lay myself down. And so now in this journey, what is Paul saying? Every day that's the practice, right? That every day we come to the cross, we see the hope, we see the finished work of Christ, but what does it require of me? Not me working for religious activity, not me working to grow in Jesus, but me dying to self. I mean, Paul provides the recipe, right? What does he say? For me to live is 
Christ. That's what Philippians 1.21 says. Galatians 2.20 says, well, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer me. That if you want to see a changed life, I've got to lay my life down. And you see this in Paul. Decrease, 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 so that the power of God, the presence of God may increase. He says, I lay it all down. I count it rubbish. All the things that people held in, in high account for me is rubbish. It's garbage, he says, compared to the power of God in my life. And so let's just look at this, man. Let's just look at these verses, and I pray you're encouraged this morning. Look at what he says in verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what? In a, that, that verse right there, we could do a whole sermon series for five weeks right there. We could spend months here. We're probably going to be months in the book of Romans. We'll finish by 2023. But we could finish. We could stay right here in this verse. That we have peace with God. How? Justified by faith. I love this. When you kind of break this down in the original language, having been justified, that phrase having been is in the perfect tense. What does it mean? It's a past completed action with continuing results. So having been justified, I'm, I'm not working for that justification. It's a past completed action, but the continuing results is every single day that I walk with a risen savior. That every day I walk with the one who conquered the grave and conquered death and conquered my sins. What does it require of me? Surrender. But I am justified by faith, therefore I have peace with God. Now I love this. In the present tense, it says we have. So past completed action, continuing results. But in this moment, right now, I sit clean before God. If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, put everything else aside, your struggles, your day, your calendar, and just allow that sink in. There have been religions for thousands of years trying to build a bridge to get to God, and it's man's attempt. Paul says, understand the gospel is God coming to man. And it's not us trying to build this bridge. It's us dying to self so that Christ may have his will in his way. You want to talk about hope, peace with God. Now think about that. A lot of people in the world, like I've talked to, like they don't necessarily consider themselves opposed to God. Like I've met people before and they'll say, oh, you're a pastor. That's great. Like that's not my thing. If that's your thing, that's okay. And, and they would take this approach where I don't really have anything against you. I don't have anything against the church. I mean, that's fine. Y'all, y'all, y'all can't drive. Y'all, I've seen y'all's cars with the magnets and y'all are all for drivers. Like, I, I get that, you know. But, but it's, this, it's this whole thing of I'm not against God. I'm neutral to God. But the Bible says there's two categories. We are either in Adam or we're in Christ. And understand something, if you've never professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no neutral category. The Bible says you stand against God. You stand opposed to God. And he even says that. If you go to Romans 8 and you look at this verse in verse 6, Paul says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind, notice this word, is enmity. Enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Enmity means actively opposed, actively hostile. And so what is he saying? That if you're not in Christ, you're actively opposing the throne of God. Many times you don't even realize it, but in your flesh, in your sins, you're actually against. You're an enemy to the throne of God. Enmity, hostile, opposed. So Paul says, understand, there's hope here, but understand there's no neutral category. You're either in Christ or you're in your sins. You're either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. And here's the hope of it all. It doesn't require you to work to accomplish this. 
and requires you to lay down. Colossians chapter one, verse 19, listen to these words, where it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell, and by him, notice this, to reconcile, to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether on earth, things in heaven, having made what? Peace, how? Through the blood of his cross. And you, who are once in that category, once alienated, and enemies in your mind, you see that enmity against God by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. And the body of his flesh through death to present you, here it is, have some hope this morning, holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. You need some encouragement this morning if you're in Jesus to allow that verse to sink in, that you stand before God, not opposing the throne of God because he's not seeing you in your sins. He's seeing you covered by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, justification equals reconciliation. When you're justified by the blood of Jesus, you now have been reconciled to the throne of God. And it's peace that cannot be broken. I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Write that down. Go back and read a couple of these verses all the way through. I'd say verse 17. I'm going to read it. It says this. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which, one, which can never take away sins. But verse 12. But this man, this Jesus, after he had offered one one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What a beautiful picture. He has perfected those who have been sanctified. So we're in this process of sanctification, but there will come a day of glorification. There will come a day where I'll leave this old body, leave this old sinful nature, and I'll walk in freedom in the glorification of the Lord. Can I get an amen? amen? So there's three things here, justification. I mean, justification, sanctification, glorification. So Paul is speaking of that there. That, hey, as you're being sanctified, there's going to be a day that you are perfected, that you will stand before God, not with a broken tent, not with a broken body, but with a renewed body before the Lord, separate from sin, separate from struggles, separate from pain, no more tears, no more suffering. The promise is you are being sanctified, but there will come a day that you will stand before God glorified. Hope. Look at what he says here. We've been justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. Like, that's so important to understand the security of your salvation. If you know Jesus as your Savior, I would dare to say most, if not all, I have. You've struggled in places where you've questioned your salvation, where the enemy is quick to come by and go, hey, really? You're a follower of Jesus? Look at what you just did. Like, like, really? Like, you go to church and profess a new life in Jesus? Look what you just did. And what can happen is this. When he puts you in that place, it cripples you. It cripples you. Because now you're not walking in the freedom of salvation. You're not walking in the freedom that you're at peace with God. You're hoping. You're hoping you're in the right standing. And what does it do? Not only does it quench your faith, it quenches your service. You're not serving because he has you in this place of questioning. And so here's Paul understanding, look, it's not on you. It requires your response to what he's done, but you are justified. You have peace with God through a person, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes further with this. That's important. Let me just, let me back up and say this. Ephesians 6 speaks of spiritual warfare. And he goes into this long teaching of, of really what we encounter behind the scenes. And every born again child of God experiences, you're experiencing it right now. I am too. There's a battle that is raging that we can't see. 
And I think about what he says there in Ephesians 6. Just listen to a couple of these verses, verse 14 and 15. He says, stand therefore. How do we stand? By girding your waist with truth, looking through the lens of God's word, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now look at verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now I love this. He has given this picture of a soldier in the battlefield that is standing there with spikes on the bottom of his feet. And what is it saying? It's saying it's given him stability. There's a foundation there that when it pushes against him, he can stand. I have a little seven-year-old. He's so physical. Like, he'll just come up and, like, hit me. Like, is that normal? Like, like just punch me. And I'm like, dude, you got, you got to warn me before that. And so he always wants to go play football. We'll see how that plays out. And he's got to hit somebody. And, you know, if he can be cheered for it, then that may be the route to go. But he wants to go play football. And so we go to the park, and, and he loves telling people how he caused me to break my rib. And he did. Let me explain the story. And so we're playing, and he's got the football, and he jukes me. My feet slip out from under me. My elbows tuck to my side, and I fall directly on my side, and I crack the rib. And so I'm laying there, not all the breath out of me, going, oh, like I can't breathe. And my seven-year-old comes up and spikes the football by my head. <laughs> Touchdown. <laughs> I so said, I'm going to teach you what football is. And I almost got a little bit carried away there. But, but we'll do this thing where, like, he'll push against me, and, or I'll push against him. And, and if he's got a certain type of shoes on me, I just, I just push to him. But then when he has his cleats on, it's a different story. That picture came to my mind this week, right, that, that we're in this battle, right? We can't see it, but there's a battle, right? Our sinful nature is countering. The world is countering. The, the struggles are Everything's countering. Our faith is countering our walk, but it's this picture of, you know what, I'm going to dig in, and I'm going to dig in. Why? Because I'm at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I stand firm on that foundation. I'm not going to keep getting pushed back. I'm not going to keep getting knocked down. I stand not in what I've done, but I stand in what Jesus has done. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that, and this is what Paul is speaking of. Look at the next part. Not only justified by faith, what else does our faith do? It also allows us access. Verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's three times you find this word access. It's, it's very limited in the New Testament. You find it in Ephesians 3.12, but you also find it in this passage. I'm going to put it up, Ephesians 2.14, and listen to how he explains it here. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. It's not our activity, it's not ordinances or ceremonies, it's Jesus who provides peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the opposition, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near. For through him, we both have, and here's the word, the third time we see it in the New Testament, through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, to a Jewish reader, this would have blown their mind. Access? Hold on, hold on. You go, you go back to, what is it, Deuteronomy? You go back to Exodus, right? Exodus 28, the Holy of Holies. Access? You go back to Exodus 28, there was only one day a year that the high priest could go in there, no Gentile, no lady, one high priest, and they would tie bells to his feet. They would tie bells to his feet just in case if God struck him down dead. So they're listening out for the bells. Can you imagine? I don't hear the bells on Pastor Heath, let's pull them out. 
Next person put the bells on. I ain't put no bells on my feet. You know what I'm saying? So this whole thought of access, wait, access to the throne, access to the Father. In the Old Testament, we had to go through all these processes. Now through this one, now through this one, I have access. Paul says, yes, you're justified by faith, but by your faith, you have access. Man, allow this. Allow this. Because the enemy discourages and isolates. I've been there. You're by yourself. No one sees you. No one hears you. You're alone. No, you're not. The hope of the gospel is that we have a high priest who came for us. I love this passage, Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now let us hold fast. Let us put our feet down in a firm foundation. Hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, here's the access. Here it is. Let us come, not just come, but let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help. In time of need. I gotta hurry. What time is it? 10 12? All right, we're gonna be here a while. Let's go. Through whom? Also, we have access by faith in this grace. Notice this phrase, which we stand. That word stand, the original language, speaks of a firm, immovable foundation. Praise God. Praise God that we're not saved by divine grace and then held by human effort. Praise God. That the same grace and power that saves us is the same power and grace that keeps us, that secures us sanctifies us. Therefore, end of verse two, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But we not only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, look at verse three. Not only that, he says, we also glory, notice this, in tribulations, plural, not singular. Paul's saying you can rejoice when trouble comes your way. Wait, what, Paul? Like, you should rejoice in tribulations. Wait, you, you need to prove this, Paul. And so now he builds upon what he's talking about. Look at the next part of this verse. Not only that, we also glory in tribulation, knowing that, don't miss that phrase, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And so here's Paul saying, hey, you can rejoice, not only that you're at peace with God, you can rejoice, not only that you have access, that you come boldly to the throne, you can rejoice knowing that even in your struggles that God is behind it. You can rejoice knowing that even in your pain, there's something bigger. You can rejoice knowing that nothing's random in your life, nothing's random in your life, that you have a God who is working things out and he's faithful to complete the work that he's begun in you. There's hope in that. When you see your struggles for just a struggle and that's all you see, you're missing the bigger picture. Because you get caught in the struggle, right? And you're like, Lord, get me through this. Get me through this. Get me through this. And we're so intent on just getting through it that we miss the work that God wants to do in changing us through it. That we'll be able to look back and say, you know what? Thank you for that. Don't want to go through it again. But thank you for that because I'm different on the other end. There's hope knowing that what tribulation produces, notice this word, perseverance. Your translation may say patience. And basically what it's saying is this, the ability to continue moving forward. The ability to keep pushing in the face of opposition and obstacles, perseverance. He says rejoice in tribulations because it produces perseverance. That you can look back and say, man, the Lord grew me through this. The Lord brought me through this. Every one of us in this room could come up here and share testimony of how God has brought you through something. And so many times when we're in the next something, we forget what God has already done. 
And so Paul says, man, take hope in this, right? Because your tribulations, plural, leads to things. It leads to the work of God in your life, and it produces perseverance, the ability to keep pushing, the ability to keep moving forward. That then leads to, notice the next word, character. It could be translated proof in the original language. It's this picture of burning away impurities of a precious metal. That's the picture here. That as you're walking through, it's not random, it's not a coincidence, right? There's hope, hope not only that you stand at peace with God, hope not only that you have access with God, but hope knowing that your tribulations lead to perseverance and your perseverance is shaping you, it's molding you, that God is burning the impurities away in this process of sanctification. James 1, 12 says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So notice this, it's a synopsis of Christian maturity. Here it is, joy in tribulations leads to perseverance. That perseverance produces character and then it's sandwiched with what? Look at the end, and character, hope. Notice this, it begins with hope, it ends with hope in his, in his line of thinking here. If you go to the end of Romans 5, 2, what does he say? And rejoice in what? In the hope of the glory of God. He immediately then moves into three. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And let me say one more thing about hope, Paul says in verse five. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope. Hope in the way God has saved us. Hope in the way that God secures us. Hope in the way that God sanctifies us. That this is a work of God. That this, it's not just a mundane day. It's not just Monday. It's not just Tuesday. It's just Wednesday. And it's not just random struggles. God, may I look through the lens of the spirit that lives inside of me and that is seeking to change me through this. That in my pain and in my questions, I can have hope. That in my sorrow and in my tears, I can have hope. As I even look at the world and I don't see the hand of God, I can have hope knowing that these promises will not fail. That there's a work he's doing. Why wouldn't Jesus say that we're known by the way that we love, by what he says in verse five? Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out. So God's love has been poured out to you. And then in return, what does it say? In our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That now in return, we love in the way that we've been loved. No wonder Jesus says in John 13, 35, they'll know you by the way that you love. Because when you've been loved by God in this way, how could you not exercise that love to others? That when you really rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't find yourself scrambling, trying to muster up energy 